0: Michelle, um, and by reading, you can find it in the booklet there. Um, John 4, verse 4. And he, Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the father is seeking such worship to such people to worship him god is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth the woman said to him i know that messiah is coming he who is called christ when he comes he will tell us all things jesus said to her i who speak to you am he Just then his disciples came back. They marvelled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or, Why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him.
1: Good afternoon everybody, good to see you here. Uh, my name is Rob and I do have the privilege of uh, opening the Bible and uh, taking us through this part of God's Word. But before we get there, uh, I want to introduce you to this guy, well, really what this guy uh, has to say. His is Eric Barker and he's a psychologist and author and uh, published in Time Magazine in the, the US and he's written much about these topics of happiness and satisfaction. And he distinguishes between the two things, happiness and satisfaction. Happiness, he says, is about being happy in your life at the moment. So I'm happy because of various things that are happening to me. Life satisfaction is about happiness about your life. You can look back over the past. Uh, You can see why you're satisfied in your life. He says there's been a lot of work done on how to be happy but not lots lot done on how to be satisfied with life and he's done some research into research and gathered together a whole bunch of research and worked out five things that uh, psychologists in research have uh, say lead to life satisfaction. Now rather than me tell you what he found uh, whether it's whether you want to believe it or not What do you reckon might be on that list? Well, have a chat with the person that you've met earlier on. What things do you think would be on his list? Five things that research say are satisfying. Go for it. Anyone want to give us uh, one that they think is on
2: there?
1: Maybe down the front. Uh, Money. Money is on the list, but you'll be surprised. Over here? Exercise. Exercise is not on the list. -hmm. Relationships, that's number one. He puts it under friends. Interestingly, as you look at the detail of what he says, he puts religion under friends. And actually quite high as one of the main components for being satisfied he's not a Christian or religious at all himself he said religious people are the most satisfied and they've worked out why are they the most satisfied because they've got friends and how many people (laughs) they do Uh, no one else does apparently Uh, how many people do you need They look at the magic number the magic number is 10 if you've got 10 friends then you are satisfied uh, so if you if you've got nine friends and you'd like to collect another friend, then just put your hand up. Actually, just later on, go out to the outside and, and yeah. So it's quite interesting. Also, along with being satisfied, um, people who mentor someone younger than them, people who do a one-to-one with someone else, are four percent more satisfied. Oh, sorry, four times more predictive of, of being. Satisfied. There you go. If you are not doing a one-to-one with someone reading the Bible, there's a good ad for that. Alrighty, the second one in the list was have goals. If you've got goals for your life that you are chasing down and seeing fulfilled, that is a predictor of happiness, 20% more satisfied. Thirdly, have a life story. If you have a life story and write it down, you are 10% happier and more satisfied with your life. If you know your family story and family history, you're more satisfied. Fourthly, money isn't the answer. So the research showed that among parents studied, uh, the more that they spent on their family with gifts at Christmas times and things like that, the more they spent on holidays, satisfaction was reduced by 2%. And fifthly, keeping growing, especially they found this with older people, people who continue to read and learn much are much more satisfied with their lives, people over the age of 50, such people exist apparently, uh, who said they continued to learn about topics that interested them were 18% more likely to feel satisfied with their lives. There you go, there's the key to satisfaction, or is it? We seek satisfaction, don't we? We seek happiness, we seek satisfaction. It would be stupid to say that we don't. We sort of feel that maybe there's something more to it, but we do seek satisfaction. And what we're going to hear from today is something about satisfaction. And at the end, I want us to actually be To know where satisfaction comes from and a change that we need to make to actually have right satisfaction for all of us. I'm going to lead us in prayer that God might speak to us from His Word and to be able to understand what this part of His Word is saying. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your Word. Again, as we look at it now, no, I seek to explain it, but we pray that you would give us your mind and your understanding and that we might be able to respond rightly to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Jesus is been has been on mission and we've seen him in the last few chapters uh, meeting people and he comes from he's going from Judea to this place called Samaria. It's the setting for this uh, little account and he's weary and seeking water. That's point two. Jesus seeks a drink. It's the middle of the day. And we're introduced to this unnamed woman. We never find out who she is, her name. And she's there on her own. Jesus is there on his own. The disciples have gone into town to find some food. Verse seven. Jesus gets straight to the point with her. She says, give me a drink. Well, he's straight to the point. Uh, This woman with her response we've realized she's no shrinking violet. Uh, She says uh, to Jesus, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman or a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Uh, This woman, she asserts, she doesn't give him a drink, uh, she asserts her opinion on what's happening at the moment and how she's not very happy about this uh, little approach from this man. You are a man, I am a woman. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. What are you doing asking me for a drink? And uh, John helpfully throws in for us who know nothing, uh, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Uh, In Harry Potter terminology, now I admit I know nothing about Harry Potter other than that he exists. Actually, no, he doesn't exist, does he? That <laughs> um, he's there. In book form, Samaritans are equivalent, apparently, to something like mudbloods. Yeah. They're <laughs> of mixed background. Jews are the equivalent to the pureblood, where they are the yeah, purebred ones. And it goes back hundreds of years from the time when the kingdom of Israel was divided in two. And the northern ten tribes were conquered by the Assyrian Empire. And what the Assyrians would do when they conquered anyone, they would take those people physically and spread them throughout the rest of the empire and get the other conquered nations and bring them to the, the place. They just mixed everybody around. So everyone was mixed in. And you can imagine the two southern tribes who were the pure Jews, what they thought of this mixed Race with their mixed theology and mixed views of God. They did not get on well at all. And this is all a little bit awkward because now Jesus is talking to this woman and it's his fault for doing this. But anyway, she's engaged now with Jesus and he stirs the pot a little bit further. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that he's saying to you, give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water Uh, if you knew the gift of god who does this guy think he is god's gift to women if you knew the gift of god you would have asked me for a drink. now this is not an amiable sort of chat a friendly chat quite pointedly she points out some uh well some basics about using a well that this guy doesn't seem to understand, this arrogant and clueless guy. Uh, She says there uh, in verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Uh, The well is deep. You don't have a bucket. I have the bucket. Do you know how wells work? You need a bucket to get the water. Um, Where are you planning on getting your water from? And, well, any girl anywhere, every girl everywhere knows that if you get chatting with a guy or he gets chatting with you, makes great boasts about himself (laughs) and then asks you to buy him a drink He is not the great guy, is he? And you know to run a mile from such a guy if you ever meet him. And she knows this. So she pushes further in verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jacob, some 1900 years before this, dug this well. And we've been surviving with livestock on this well for a long time quite well. Thank you very much. So what are you what are you going to do? Can you do better than that? You're just promising stuff out of thin air. And I wonder whether you feel like that a little bit with regard to Jesus yourself. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, just checking him out, can Jesus really follow through on the promises that he makes? Are there promises that I'll I'll give you living water. I'll give you satisfaction. I'll give you something better than real water. Do you think that, well, I wonder whether, I wonder whether he can come through with with the goods. It's all well and good to promise it, but can he actually come through with it? Is he someone I can totally give my life to? For some, it's... They see Jesus, they hear what he has to say, and they go, no, (laughs) Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm off, see you later. Or is it, I'm not sure, I don't know enough about what you're saying or who you are, and perhaps you're listening in, and along with this woman, she's listening in further to what Jesus has to say, because he's, point three, offering life. Jesus offers life, he pushes past gently past this resistance that she gives, pushes aside certainly the social norms of the time and the taboos, and he continues to chase after her. Verse 13, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says, I'm not talking about H2O. Yes, you need H2O. Uh, And the H2O that you need, you'll you'll come and go for that and come and go. But I'm talking about something that will satisfy eternally. Uh, It's eternal life itself. And if you've been reading John's Gospel with us, you'll have come across water, 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 water in John's Gospel. And this water." we find out later on to give the game away, is about eternal life. Here we see it's water that's welling up to eternal life. The thing that Jesus is giving is something that is eternal life, which we think, that's fantastic, what's that? Life never ending. Eternal life, again, in John's Gospel, to give give away the, the show is relationship with God. It's not about length of years so much, though it is that. Its quality of life eternal life is to know God to be in relationship with God it's not just about going to a place called heaven though that's true it's rather what heaven is about and who is there it's going to live with God it's being in relationship with God face to face not not troubled by the sin of this world, not troubled by the by the evil that's around us, not troubled by the sin that's in our hearts that infects everything that we do. It's life with God without any boundaries. That's eternal life that Jesus is promising here. Well, something changes for this woman at this point. Something subtle. I don't know if you picked it up. She says to him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or, or have to come here to draw water. Something has changed. Remember when Jesus came to her, uh, well, and she came to Jesus, and they met Jesus, said, give me a drink. And now she's heard enough from Jesus to say to him, give me this living water that the request has swapped over. Give me a drink. Now, it's still a little uninformed. She'd like to drink so that she doesn't have to keep coming here to draw water from this well. It's a bit laborious. She'd like a tap installed in her home. Um, one day that might happen, but not right now. She's no theologian or scholar like Nicodemus back in chapter three that we met last week. He knew heaps of things about Jesus. He knew heaps of things about God. He knew the Old Testament. But if you remember, for as much as he knew about God, he was in the dark about God. For as much as he knew about Jesus, he was in the dark about Jesus. This woman, from listening to Jesus for a few minutes, has got something that Nicodemus didn't have. It's small and it's tiny, but it's very important. Sir, give me this water, she says to a man without a bucket. She wants Jesus' offer. She asks for this eternal life. And that makes all the difference, that she asks and trusts that Jesus has something of what He is promising. And with this door slightly open, this woman it's time for Jesus to reveal a little bit more about himself and about herself and so Jesus pushes further he says to her verse 16 go call your husband and come here the woman answered him I have no husband Jesus said to her you are right in saying I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband what you have said it's quite true. Oh, hang on. <laughs> we weren't expecting that. Uh, what should she do now? Uh, what's she thinking to herself? What do you do when you meet somebody who knows everything about you and you've never met them before this day? Now, it's important for us to realise, those of us who are followers of Jesus, and like to speak of, speak to people about Jesus, that this is not a... This is not a training lesson in how to talk to people about Jesus. You don't walk up to people and have a guess uh, of what might be in their life behind them or their, their deepest secrets. and that is, That's not, is not what's happening here. We know from the beginning of John's Gospel that Jesus knows all people. Jesus knows everything. Jesus is in the know, and here it's coming through. This man knows me. He knows us. He knows our past. He knows our failures. He knows our current failures. He knows our future failures. He knows all of the things that we're not even aware of where we have failed. And yet, like this woman, he still pursues a relationship, this free offer of life. What should she do? What would you do? Man this guy's freaking me out. I'm out of here. This, this is just too much. I'm gone. And that is the case with many. Or do you take the risk and enter the danger? Well she does a third option. She sidesteps the issue. She brings up the old theological deflection debate. Uh, So she says, verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. It's the old, well, you believe one thing and I believe another. There's really no truth. We just have to agree and disagree that um, we've both got different views. And maybe she can just sidestep this whole awkward situation of this man who knows everything about her. Now, Jesus takes it up and uh, he responds to her. Verse 21, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such worshippers to worship him. Well, Jesus corrects her. Actually, no, there is a right and a wrong place for worship. Uh, You Samaritans actually have it wrong. They thought that Mount Gerizim up in Samaria was the place where they should worship. Uh, No, it actually is Jerusalem. That is the right place to go to the temple. But Jesus says, the time's coming and is now here when that's done away with. The worshipers that God is after are those who worship in spirit and truth. Which gets us thinking, well, what does Jesus even mean by this spirit and truth? What's worship in spirit and truth? Well, before we see what that is, notice that here, God is seeking people. Did you notice that? God is seeking people. What is God seeking? You tell me. What's the what is God seeking? It's in the passage. It is hard work, isn't it? Amelia, tell us. True, true worshippers. Where do you see that? 23, that's right. Very good. Yeah. It's in the second part of it. That's right. For the Father is seeking such people. Have you ever thought about God as one who is seeking and if God was a seeker, what's he seeking? He's seeking people to worship him. And the way to worship him, rightly, is not any longer in a physical temple or a geographical place, whether it was in Jerusalem or whether you thought it was on Mount Gerizim. It's in spirit and truth. That is, in contrast to a geographical location, uh, concrete place with uh, latitude and longitude, it's in spirit. That is, uh, it's where God is, where God reveals himself. It's not you making up what you want to make up. It's truth. It's spirit and truth. And where is it that the place to meet God is? Well, Jesus already told us back in John chapter 2 when he came into the temple and he said, tear down this temple uh, and I'll rebuild it in three days. And he was talking about his body, that is, when he was would be resurrected from the dead, his disciples understood that he was talking about his body. It's in Jesus that we see the new temple. Uh, in Jesus is the place where you go to worship God and know God. He is the one who is uh, who through whom we worship God in spirit and truth, and so. In John's Gospel, in John 14, 6, Jesus can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the truth. He is the place where God is worshipped and God is met, where you come to God. And being spirit and truth and being tied to Jesus, it's now open to everyone, not to just Jews who live in Jerusalem, not to Samaritans who live in Samaria, but everyone, whoever. And if you've been with us hearing John's Gospel, you'll know that word, whoever. Chapter 3, verse 15, that whoever believes in him. Verse 16, that whoever believes in him. Verse 18, that whoever believes in him will not be condemned. Chapter 3, verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever, whoever what? Whoever believes, whoever trusts, just like what this woman is doing. It's not the Nicodemus theological eggheads who know God. It's those who trust him and receive him and receive the life that he has given. God is seeking worshipers not on our own terms, how I'd like to worship God, how I'd like to think of God, but how God has revealed himself in Jesus. Whereabouts are you in this? Are you seeking? Are you taking up the offer that God is seeking to be a worshipper of him like this woman? Are you in with God? Are you in with Jesus, like this woman? As we will see, especially next week, she's in with Jesus. Now I know that many of you are, many of you uh, say you are, and I don't, I don't doubt it. But what we're being offered here, what this woman is being offered here, is true satisfaction. She wants the water so that she doesn't have to come back each day to the well. What Jesus is offering her is satisfaction with God for eternal life. The key is where you seek satisfaction. What is the satisfaction that you are chasing after, that you are seeking? For some of us, we, we're we chasing the five things. We're chasing friends. We're chasing goals. Uh, we want a life story that's worth telling Uh, we want, actually we do want the money (laughs) um, and everything else but we do that calling ourselves followers of Jesus and Jesus is saying no, you you can't do that he is the one to chattice and find satisfaction in and to be satisfied in him that's the True, what is the thing that you worship? What is the thing that you devote yourself to? The true worshippers are those who worship God in spirit and truth. That is seeking Jesus. You can't seek Jesus and try and find satisfaction and chase after satisfaction in friends and money and goals and everything else. You think, well, but I like those things. I really do like those things. And you know what? They actually are very good, but they're not the things to chase. Find Jesus, find your satisfaction in him, and you'll make lots of friends. You'll make, have great goals of life. You'll probably even make some money along the way somewhere and then give it away to people, but you won't be seeking to find your satisfaction in them. The challenge that this interaction with Jesus and this woman puts to us today is where are you trying to chase satisfaction? Where are you seeking for it? Friends, seek for it in Jesus and Jesus only. At Easter time, we remember Jesus' death and resurrection for us. In this account, he gives woman this woman water welling up to eternal life so that she will not be thirsty for eternity. One of the last pictures we see of Jesus in John's Gospel is him on the cross. His work being completed as he's on the cross in John 19, 28. He says this, uh, John tells us after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to, uh, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Jesus thirsts on the cross. In John's Gospel, That's not just he feels thirsty. He's giving up his life for others. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Here is Jesus thirsting on behalf of you, giving up his life so that we might have life and be satisfied in him. Friends, chase what Jesus has given at the cost of his life. And rejoice in that. And just treat the other things as they are other things. But find your satisfaction in Jesus. Shall I pray that we might do that? let pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he, he chases this woman to offer her eternal life. And Father, we thank you that he offers it freely and abundantly and at the cost of his life, shed for us. Father, we pray that we might grasp this so clearly that we've chased and find satisfaction in Jesus and him alone. And Father, in doing so, we pray that we might indeed have abundant life, both now and into eternity with you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Hi, guys. I'm Rosa. I'm actually going to be praying for us today. Um, And yeah, I'm Rosa. I'm second year nutrition and dietetics student. Fun fact about me is that in the last year I've had three roommates and all of them have been Chloe's. And it's very confusing. I look at two two at the moment. (laughs) So would you join me in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege that it is to talk to you through prayer. We have just learned so much in your word this afternoon about how you are our sufficiency. And through Jesus, we can know God personally. Thank you that in you, we are fully satisfied. May we not get distracted by the things this world tells us that will satisfy us, but may we seek Jesus, worshipping you in spirit and in truth. Thank you for the truths and wisdom that, we, that have been given to us through the Gospel of John so far. And thank you for Rob, who has faithfully been explaining this passage for us today. As Easter is coming up this weekend Father, may we reflect on the significance of Jesus coming to earth and dying for our salvation through his resurrection from the dead. Thank you for the wonderful people that have been serving our university campus through Easter Mission this week. Thank you and praise you God for the gospel seeds that have been planted in people's hearts through the conversations that were had. May these seeds take root Father in these people's lives that they may come to read the Bible for themselves through an uncover mark that was given or to continue conversations with people about who Jesus is to them. This weekend we pray that these people we've had conversations with may find a church to connect with for Easter. Thank you for these opportunities God and we pray that many more come as the week continues. Right now we want to acknowledge the privilege that it is to be able to gather under your word unhindered and without persecution. We bring before you, Lord, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering for the gospel and who are enduring suffering, both those we know and those around the world. Thank you that you've promised to be present with us through our suffering and would you give us the strength to endure. May these people be, be given encouragement and joy through their trials to persevere continuing to bear fruit for the gospel of God, for your glory, Jesus. Thank you for the break that we get this long weekend to be refreshed and rejuvenated. And may we take time to abide in your word as we reflect on your son, Jesus, and what he did at the cross for us and for the world. And in his name we pray. Amen.